Welcome back, everybody. It's Dylan with DS Dyslexia, also known as Dyslexic Dylan. Today, this episode is more for parents. Parents with kids who have dyslexia or struggling with anything, because today we've got a special guest. We've got my stepdad. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks, my boy. I appreciate you coming on. So today we're going to be talking about the journey of my dyslexic journey because it happened in so many different lenses and so many different people saw it and saw it in different ways. So my stepdad came into my life around fourth grade, but he really came into our life around seventh, and that's when you became a part. We were a family, seventh grade, and you, I remember being in school and you being like, I was always like, it looks like Chinese, it looks like Chinese, and we didn't work together, we didn't do homework or anything together, but I remember one day, it was a Saturday, I remember it very vividly, it was a Saturday, I'm a seventh grade kid, we're all playing Minecraft, and you ripped me away from my game to see what I was about. We did homework together, and that is when it started for me. Um, can I get your um, sight on that experience, starting there? Yeah, I can't speak to your Minecraft uh, <laughs> uh, game, but what I can say is that you're right. You know, at fourth grade, your mom and I started to date each other, right? And then there was a period of time of several years where um, – you know, it was your mom and I, and, and we weren't sure. So, you know, we weren't spending a lot of time, uh, you know, I wasn't spending a lot of time with you. Your mom wasn't spending a lot of time with your sisters. Um, but around seventh grade is where uh, we became more of a family unit. And that's when your mom uh, had asked me to, to kind of help uh, understand what was going on with, with your journey, right? Um, I remember th- hearing, you know, your mom and I had talked a lot during those years you know, and hearing how you were having troubles and difficulties in school. Uh, I remember hearing stories about how you might get a 40 on a test, but yet you were still student of the month, right? Yeah. So there was a lot of kind of things that were going on like that. But seventh is really when um, I, I, you know, your mom asked me to get more involved, right? And um, so, you know, it was, uh, with regards to the Minecraft thing, it was, let's rethink everything. Right. So when I started to get involved, it was what's going on. Everyone says Dylan has ADHD. Uh, Dylan is on some medication. And your mom and I took a step back and said, is that really what's going on here? Everyone's telling us it's what's going on. But is that's what's happening? And when we kind of looked at it, we realized that, you know, that diagnosis happened when you were in second grade. And I think you saw a psychiatrist or a psychologist for about 30 minutes. So you know, your life for those 10 years thereafter was kind of dictated by what a person said after seeing you for 30 minutes. So what I did on that Minecraft day, it was, let's find out what's really going on, right? I hadn't worked with you before. I want to get eyes on it. So I want to, I want to do some homework with Dylan and we're going to do it. Fortunately, it was Saturday for you, but that's obviously <laughs> I didn't have work that day. So yep. it was time I had to do it. So that was the first attempt by me to understand what was going on. And that's seventh grade. I remember eighth grade vividly. We did Huntington Learning Center two days a week. And that's before Marta. That's before Stephanie. Sure. So in keeping with, we need to understand what's happening. Is it ADHD? Isn't it ADHD? There was a period of time where I was using a scientific method, right? Um, Doing a lot of research on ADHD, uh, your mom and I, after doing that, didn't think it was ADHD. So if it's not ADHD, what's going on, right? So um, we will, will more of traditional learning help you, right? So we sent you to Huntington where they would do an assessment 
and then spend some hours with you and see after that time uh, was it helpful. I know I spent time doing homework with you and, you know, it was a matter of, I knew it wasn't ADHD because as I'd spend a few hours with you, you had no ability to retain information, right? You would read something, we'd talk about it, we'd use a lot of different senses, and then an hour later we'd talk about it and you would not have any remembrance or retention of what we were doing. So you're asked about Huntington. It was just one more data point to figure out what was really going on with Dylan, right? Um, and then when we came to the conclusion, your mom and I, that it wasn't ADHD and the medication wasn't uh, probably what should be happening, we need to find an expert to tell us what's really going on. And you mentioned Marta, Mar Dr. Marta Flom. Uh, we did a bunch of research in the area of child development, and she seemed to be a world-class psychologist in child development. And after speaking to her, she, she also used a scientific method where she would diagnose you. If you remember, she spent hours, days with you, um, giving a battery of tests to really understand what the issue was. And that was the first time we found out what was happening with Dylan. And then after that, um, we did, I did a lot of staying after. I remember regions were a huge struggle, and I don't know how you guys did it, but we dropped the reason, regions off of my um, educational experience, which was, I think was a required. I could be assuming that that is not. Yeah, so after, after understanding, right, that um, you were suffering from dyslexia and um, uh, some other higher executive memory issues, right, the inability to take information and then spit it back out. Like when you were saying earlier that everything was Chinese to you, when you were in school and listening to a teacher, it was Chinese to you because you didn't have the ability to, you know, most people can sit there and listen, think about it, and still continue to hear the teacher in the background and take it in. You didn't have that ability. And Marta determined that, not only that, but that you had dyslexia. So, uh, you know, like I said, it was, once we got there, it was, what do we do, right? How are we going to solve this? And the issue is that we came to the, the conclusion that traditional learning and schools weren't equipped to do it, right? You had such a, an unusual case um, that it was dyslexia but compounded by this memory issue that we knew that schools weren't going to help you. They were, and, and I should be very clear, the schools tried everything they could, but, you know, schools are designed to help the majority of people. They're not designed to help the ones and twos that have these unique situations like you did. So, um, so again, you ask us how do we get out of the regents and all of that. It became apparent to us that you needed a high school diploma, right? Because in order to do anything in life, generally they ask for a high school diploma. But you didn't have the ability to get a traditional high school diploma. So how do we work with the school to get to you where you can get a high school diploma, but understanding that the challenges you had made it almost impossible to get a high school diploma. So so that's what we were doing. And then I remember, uh, no heads up from my goggles in the experience, but you just picked me and mom up, and we went to Stephanie's house, which was the next step, I believe, on uh, the process. And we sat down. She told us what she was about. You and her, mom and her talked, and I just kind of took it all in. And then we went back to your house, and you said, Dylan, are you willing to do two, three days a week this summer at Stephanie's. And I remember looking at you and saying, I'll do anything. Yeah, exactly right. So a couple things, right? 
once we realized what the issue was, right, that was a major milestone. And then the next issue was how we were going to address it. And it became, like I said, clear that the schools weren't capable of dealing with it. So we needed to find somebody who could help you deal with your issues. Um, and that was Stephanie, right? So Stephanie is an expert in working with people with dyslexia and other types of learning disabilities. Um, and it was a matter of, were you going to commit yourself because it was going to take a lot of work, right? You're effectively, school wasn't going to help you. Stephanie was going to be able to help you, but the only way Stephanie could help you is that if you bought into the process uh, and if you spent the time. And I should say that, you know, one of the things that everyone says uh, about you is that, you know, imagine yourself going through school for years. You're getting 40s. You're getting 30s. You feel like you can't succeed. You're listening to the teacher, but it sounds like it's a different language, right? The most amazing thing about you was that it didn't bring you down. You kept going to school. Yeah. Like for me, I'd, I'd be like, you know, I don't get it. I'd be, I'd dial out. I wouldn't do it anymore. But you kept going no matter what. And that was the same thing with Stephanie was that you were all in. So um, your ability to, to keep plugging along is really what's got you to where you are right now. I appreciate that. And then when did, and then I remember sophomore year we come back. Freshman year it was like, keeping chin above water but dipping in because I remember being mom threatening me the coach threatening me and the teacher saying something about my, me not being able to stay on the wrestling team if I don't fix my grades yeah right and so it took a while for the school to understand and it took a lot of our time to educate the school about what was really going on right so you could say the words but they were still like but he's getting a 60 um or or worse right so that was the period of time where we were getting the school to understand that you were not going to pass school in a traditional manner. It was impossible for you to do so, right? And we, we took the time to educate them. You know, Dr. Flom was involved, as were many other advocates um, that sat down with us and the folks from the school to get them to a point where they understood um, that traditional learning, that you weren't, you weren't going to be capable of doing it the way other people do it. And then I remember a huge change because um, I'd go to IEP meetings in ninth grade and before, and it was all always the same talk. Well, you got to do this. You got to get these grades up. You can try harder here. You can try harder here. You could maybe do this. And at this point, I'm already coming into school earlier to meet with the teacher. I'm skipping my lunch for the teacher. I'm staying after with the teacher. And right. I'm, I'm, I'm like Gumby stretched out to my max. And they're like, well, you can do more. And I'm like, where? Yeah, it's why I said the school's have a certain playbook, and when somebody needs something outside of that playbook, they're not designed to handle it, right? So there was certainly a period of time where your mom and I had to spend a lot of time with the school, and you also had to demonstrate to the school that you were trying, right? So we knew that you weren't going to be able to do this in the traditional manner, but we had to demonstrate to the school that you couldn't do it, and that necessitated you working your ass off to do it, right? But you know, somebody with dyslexia or some of the, the challenges that you have, just spending more time on a test doesn't change anything. Spending an extra 30 minutes with a teacher isn't going to change anything. And that's the kind of playbook the school has, right? So I can see why you felt that way. And it's why I said your resiliency, your ability to keep going is why you were able to succeed. Because a lot of people 
in the face of that, I mean, depression and such, wouldn't have been able to keep going. I appreciate that. And then I mean, now going 10th grade, we did the summer. I mean, do you remember when I started, Stephanie, what month that was? It was, I don't remember when it was. I do remember it happening because, you know, I had been working with you by that time for a year or two. And I, you know, I had the the research from Dr. Flom and I understood everything that was happening, right? We had gotten you off the medication and such. And I remember the first time Stephanie did an assessment with you and she asked you how many letters were in the alphabet. And I think you might have said something like 52, right? And it didn't really sink home to me until that time. Like, I thought it was an impossibility that a ninth grader didn't know that there were 26 letters in the alphabet, right? And that's when I really came to me, where it was like, you were so, it was, you were doing so much, and no matter what you did, it just wasn't going to help. So it was, when you asked me about Stephanie, that's what I remember the most. Like, you only, I don't remember what date it was, but I remember you not knowing how many letters in the alphabet were, and that's when I understood that the problem that I knew that was there was so systemic uh, and so uh, that that no matter what we did with the schools, it would impact this, that it had to be Stephanie and outside of uh, the school system. The school system couldn't deal with, you know, for me it was how was it possible that a 10th grader was had gotten through all the way to that point without knowing the, the alphabet, right? So that's when it really struck home at, how much work there was to do, how hard you had been working, and how the schools aren't capable or weren't equipped to deal with this. And then I remember that first, uh, the IP meeting was, I think it was late September, early October, if not later, that 10th grade? Yeah, usually they have them at the beginning of the school year, so September, October by the time they... The first one there was nothing, just like, oh, this is the plan. I was in some special program or class cohort but I remember that second one you mom Stephanie my teachers and then another lady yes there was a an advocate that we had brought with us right by that time we had all the information right and by that time it had always been it got to the point where we understood that traditional learning wasn't going to help so we really needed to to educate the school right so we brought a lot of experts Dr. Flom as I mentioned uh, had come to some meetings and it was no longer about, the IP was no longer about how much extra time does Dylan get to take a test? When Dylan takes a test, he can be in a different room. It was like, you people need to completely rethink everything you ever think you know about Dylan. Um, and that's why we had so many people, because we needed all of the experts to educate the school system on what was really going on. But and then after that, they got it. They got on board, right? They realized that, they, the way that they operate and the school system operates wasn't going to help you, right? That, but we were going to do it outside the school system. But when I say they got on board is they were tremendously helpful in trying to figure out how to get you a high school diploma and yet not be able to do it in a traditional manner. What struck home with me that second IEP meeting, 10th grade, was they went, we uh, 40s, probably historically my whole educational career. That 10th grade, they go, 40s but still getting student of the month yeah right which is i mean i know i kind of chuckle about it but that's 
that's the that's your strength. Your strength was I'm still going and I don't care and I'll still go with a smile on my face. All of your teachers loved you, but you were learning nothing. But yet you were so positive that you were becoming student of the month, but yet you were getting less than forties on a test. Yeah, I remember getting all the academic awards and seeing literally honor society kids in these meetings, these awards, and they like call up Dylan Smith and everybody goes, What? Uh, <laughs> right it's like you know the valedictorian or, or others are getting these types of awards and the same so were you ceremony yeah because of the effort that you're putting forth um but what set home in that meeting is like 40s 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 and we had the highest grade it went it was a 66 a 70 and a 74 and then a 72 across the board and i just remember you went silent when they told you those grades Mom started crying, and then my guidance counselor, Ms. Cummins, previous episode, she started crying. And they're like... Yes, there was a lot of crying in that meeting. There was, and it, I, I didn't know what was going on at first, and they're like, these are the highest grades Dylan's ever got. Right. And I just remember, like, oh. It was, I, and I'm speaking for your mom right now, and for Mrs. Cummings, uh, who is your um, uh, advisor, right? Yeah. Uh, and... I think there was a point in time where people didn't think it was possible, right? That you would never get through high school. Um, that no matter what we did, you weren't go- you were going to fail, right? I think um, a lot of people felt that way. So I think that's why that was there because it became um, people had hope after that. <laughs> you good? I'm good. good? <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so then I'm thinking the, about your mom, right? Your mom, um, you know, it's hard, right? For your mom to, you, you have these sons, right? And for your, for you particularly, like it didn't feel possible, right? So that was the first time it was possible. So a little insight is, I remember you you went like silent and you were a little emotional in that meeting and I was caught off guard because And now? Yeah. And I was caught off guard because uh I have four siblings and I think all of them were honor students. And you were surprised about a 70. And I remember you talking to an Terrence and like you got to turn this 70 into a 90 like what the heck. Yeah, absolutely. So you're talking about um your sisters, right? And obviously different expectations because they don't have the challenges that you have. Um, But, you know, your 70 was the 90s, was the 100s, right? It was, like I said, it was the first time that we figured it out, right? So since second grade until that time, you were diagnosed as having ADHD, Everybody was doing all of these things. You were on medication. The medication was impacting your personality or ripping your face off, uh, if you remember, literally. And MARTA is where we were like, we think we know it. We think we have, you know, the eureka moment. When you got the 70s, that was like, we got it. So it was, that's why that was so important because it was 10 years of you know your mom longer of struggle by you by your mom um 
And for, for me, it was, you know, four or five years of going against the grain of what traditional learning was telling us, right? People were saying it is ADHD or it's this or it's that. And if he just spends more time and if he works harder. Um, so when you have to do it alone and then it works, it was, of course, very emotional. It was. And uh, I actually thought. And here you are now. Yeah, exactly. Thank you to you and the support I was given. Um, but I actually thought that everybody was crying in disappointment. Like, oh, originally that's what I thought. I went, oh, I, oh no. <laughs> I think it's a bad thing. Yeah, because I, I remember literally the night before you, Xander, and Tara had a meeting about um, their grades and you were mad at them because they weren't 90s or 80s or something like that. And then we sat in a meeting not even 12 hours later like, yeah, you got 75 is your highest grade. And I, I looked at you and you, went, you were blank faced and I was like, oh, no. Yeah, I remember the meeting. Uh, I was trying to keep it together because everyone around me was crying. So I was uh, I was blank faced, probably, you know, using some trick to think about some bad thing that happened in my life <laughs> to stop myself from crying. But, um, you know, as I always tell you and your sisters and brothers that it isn't about a number, right? I don't expect Tara, my daughter, to get 90s. What I expect her to do is to work to her potential, right? And you had exceeded your potential. So that's why we were so happy, right? I, um, 40s were your potential. That's what we learned in the journey, right, at that time. So you were working, you know, we used to not chuckle about it, but your mom and I would say, the kid's still all in. He's still doing it, right? Like, um, he's working beyond his potential because no one else would continue to go to school without understanding what they're saying. No one would do it, all right? So we always felt about you that you were working above your potential. So I understand how you might say, see that, like, I was um, on your sisters uh, for certain grades, but it's because I know what their potential was, and I expect them to work towards theirs. You had been exceeding yours, and with the 70s, we knew that it was all doable. Not only had you exceeded your potential, but we reset what your potential was because through Stephanie and Marta and others, we figured it out. So with one word, we're going to put, so there's a, a parent. with one word? Well, no. So there's somebody watching this podcast or listening to it right now. Let's put their age at 12. Their parents just found out they had dyslexia. What is one thing you would say? Yeah, so uh, first I'd talk, I'm going to talk to the parents first, right? The first thing is, is you have to be certain. Right? They found out they were, the person had dyslexia. Was it because someone anecdotally just said, hey, this person has dyslexia? Or were they actually given the test and they actually have dyslexia, right? So um, because the school system and uh, a lot of folks in that you know arena will tell you it's something, believing it is, but they don't really know that it is, right? So I'd say to the parents, make sure that you understand and that... that your child has been tested, and that it actually is dyslexia. And then when it is dyslexia, understand that generally the school system is not well-equipped to help. They will absolutely try to help. Like in our school system, they tried, um, and they have people that are educated in how to deal with dyslexia. But if you're, you're, you're going to need to go outside the school system for extra help um, because the school system is just not well-designed. To, to deal with it. 
excuse me, for um, the 12-year-old, I guess I'd say what I said to you, which is, um, I know you hate this speech, but everybody has strengths and everybody has weaknesses, right? And There's nine different types of intelligence. Exactly. And, you know, it's how you respond to the things that you need to do that matters, not that you have dyslexia, right? So dyslexia, like other things, are is a challenge. And there is a process out there, though, that with hard work that I don't want to say you can overcome it because it's not like dyslexia goes away. You cope with you it can, better or learn can, how to live with it. You can absolutely, and it's not only learning how to live with it, you can thrive with it, right? It isn't, it's just like, it's as if I would always use this analogy, right? It's like if you had a... Um, you know, a hurt knee at wrestling practice, right? It doesn't stop you from wrestling. It doesn't stop you from being a good wrestler. It's just something you have to learn to deal with. Uh, but you can still succeed. You can still thrive. Um, it doesn't limit you. It just means you have to work. So the reason, looking going backwards a tiny bit, the reason that I kept trucking along is like every day the goal is to find one light bulb. Whether it's a math class, social studies, science. And I always love social studies Except the, the hard part in social studies is when he'd write on the board, talk, I had to write notes, and he'd take my notes and grade them. And if I did the notes right, I didn't know what it was. But if I listened to him, I understood what he was saying, and I had nothing for notes. So it was like a, there was never winning in that. But I loved the class for some reason. But if I found a light bulb once a day, it was a reason to go back tomorrow because I could find two tomorrow. So, oh, it's a math problem. Four times four is 16. How did I learn that? Um... Four by four is a me machine. I'm going to get one when I'm 16. We did things like that. And then when you learn that kind of stuff and a light bulb goes off, it's motivating. It's like, oh, if I can do one light bulb today, I can do two tomorrow. If I can do two tomorrow, I can do three Wednesday. If I can get five light bulbs in one week, that's a win. Yeah, it's a difference. You know, some people walk through a garden and all they see are the weeds. Some people only see the flowers. Most people see a mix of the weeds and the flowers, right? You decided to look at the flowers, right? And you realize that weeds happen, but as long as this flower is here, I can do. I can go come back the next day, right? It's a it's a mindset, right? Like I said about what I would say to the twelve year old. It isn't. A, it's a hurdle. It's a challenge. But challenges are made to overcome, right? You have to find a way to overcome them, and your way was to focus on. Um, incremental change, right? So, so you know, for other people, it might be different methodologies, but you have to find a way to move forward, right? To embrace the fact that you have dyslexia, uh, to not hide from it, and to figure out how to thrive with it. And that, in your way, was focusing on the flowers. And I look at it like it's not, obviously this is a branded thing on dyslexia, but anybody, I think as humans, we all struggle with something, Absolutely. I mean, I don't believe in the word impossible, but I think it's impossible to be perfect. So every day we can work on something to improve as a human. And if I can get 1% better every day, I'm going to. Yeah, I think that's the way to look at it, right? Everybody has strengths and weaknesses, and everybody has them in different mixes. And it's really how you go about it. It's not It's not what you have. It's the, the struggle, right? It's the struggle that life's about. It's the um, living with a purpose, right? And if your purpose is to with dyslexia, then you're going to do that, right? So if your purpose is to get incrementally better every day, is to pick some area 
um, then you're going to do that. If your purpose is to touch, you know, hundreds and uh, maybe thousands of people that have dyslexia, so if they hear this podcast or others and they, they feel like they're not alone, then you're going to do that. And I, I want to because the biggest thing is I felt like I was alone. And it's you're going to. Well, obviously, you're going to think you're alone. Heck no. You know, that's right. You. It's why I, I was happy to do this podcast is because your view of the world going through this was different than your mom and I's view of the world, right? Like, I understand why you felt like you were walking alone, but there were so many people around you that were pushing, cajoling, caring at times. So it's perfectly reasonable to feel alone, but you're not alone. Yeah. So I just made it, I want to make it clear that if you have dyslexia, it's not going to be easy, but I look at like, I look at anything. I, I, so every day at work, I have a notebook. If I, I say something or I do a ticket wrong or I do something wrong, I write down my notebook. If I say something or learn something, I also write down my notebook in two categories. I won't read it, but I show up to work 30 minutes early every day and I read that notebook and I go, how can I implement this in today to be 5% better Dylan than I was yesterday? So with, with that kind of thing, it's like, yes, it's going to be hard, but be excited because looking back, I'm kind of excited because I got to pave my path. I got to go, oh, some kid with dyslexia now can listen to this and go, oh, he, what he did, he showed up early, cut his lunches, stayed after, and then did wrestling practice and showed the coaches, the teachers, and everybody he can do it. Asked his gym teacher, can I skip gym to go study with Ms. Kandelka? Well, sure. And it's, it's, that's all. That's like people look for the key of life. The key of life is just make sure people know that you're trying. Make sure that they know you're working. Make sure you're stretching your gumby arms. Not just something ex- ex- extreme, but make sure they know they're stretched a bit to stress, and they'll respect you. They'll be like, oh, it's a give and take. It's like, you do work for me at your job. We, we appreciate you. We pay you a bonus. You know, it's how you competed, right? You couldn't compete in the intellectual arena. You weren't going to be the smartest kid in the biology class, right? But you were able to work outwork people, right? You are able to, like you said, come in early, stay late, you are willing to put in the effort. You can out-hustle people, right? So you got your hustle on. Um, That's why I say dyslexia is a challenge, but there's ways to overcome challenges. You can compete in different ways, right? Um, And we've talked about that all the time, right? You you might not uh, have the best ability to to deal with book learning, but you can certainly beat people in heart, you know, you can out-hard them, you can outwork them, you can out-effort them, um, and that will lead uh, to you get being able to get uh, to where you want to go. And that's the beautiful thing about this podcast. It doesn't have to be just me. You're giving these people that, that need to hear this, they can do it too. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, if the challenge that we went through with you uh, is an indication of anything, is that there's a path. Right, just have to to understand that. If there is figure one, out what the problem is, address the problem, um, and figure out not only how to kind of be okay, but how to thrive with it. It's just you know I, I don't want to mitigate dyslexia because I know it is a challenge for folks, but there's like like life. You're always going to have challenges in, in how you respond to them. And the fact that you keep pushing forward in spite of them and the fact that you try to work with them and around them 
is what's really important. Right. I appreciate having you on. I appreciate you coming out and taking time out of your Sunday. And I appreciate you being there every step of the way through the process. And while I was trucking along, you and mom were too. And I think it, there's no I in team and we couldn't have done it alone. Yes, there is no I in team. There's also no I in mom. Uh, <laughs> so shout out to your mom um, who, you know, I'm sure you'll have her on this podcast, but she can talk to, like, I dealt with this with regards to dyslexia in, like, 7th and 8th grade. Um, but your mom can give you the view of someone that's there every day. Yeah. Right? I gave you the view of how I think people could handle it and how to deal maybe with the school system and others. And listen, if anybody writes to your podcast and wants to talk about how we did this and talk about, you know, references to Marta or other, be more than happy to do it. But your mom is really the, you and your mom really here are the true kind of heroes. She dealt with it every day. Yeah, and my mom, she she's a hero. I don't think she's human. I don't think either of you guys are human. I think you got wings or something that you're hiding from us. She She's a soldier and a trooper for sure. And um, chucking along would be an understatement on her part. Well, I look forward to hearing the podcast with her. Me too. Dad? Thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure. I hope we can impact and change and motivate and inspire with this episode. Love to. This is Dyslexic Dylan signing off with Dan. I hope we all learned. You are all beautiful. You're smart. You're intelligent. And you got this. Keep your head up and chuck along. (laughs) 